Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, the final Good News Friday for the month of January. And boy, you know, it's been... It's been an interesting month. I think it's been a good month on the whole. I mean, with everything that's going on in the world, with all the different things that uh, that could be knocking us down and knocking us over, um, we, the body of Christ, have some good news to celebrate. The good news to celebrate comes in two different forms this half hour. And I, again, I cannot stress enough. I don't know how many times I've found myself saying that recently. I cannot stress enough how important it is for us to get good information, share good information, and dwell on it. What does Scripture tell us as the Philippians? Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, think about these things. I am here to tell you, this is purely anecdotal. I do not have the scientific study in front of me, but or the studies, but I don't think that there is any credible scientist in the world that would refute what I'm about to say. And that is this, you are what you consume. You are what you consume. I was visiting my son the other day. He's a graduate student. He's working full-time and teaching and has a part-time job on the side and, you know, dating and a full life and everything. And he's really had a chance to kind of put his his life together in terms of ways that uh, he, he's, he's had some tough a tough go of life in certain areas and culminating with his mom passing away a couple of years ago. And just there's a lot of things that could have knocked him off course. And I believe he has that quote on, he's got a dry erase board in his bedroom. And he's got that quote up on the wall. I think it's something he got from a Jordan Peterson talk or something like that. But I love, it says, you are what you consume. And you know, it, it's amazing because when I first started hearing the term, back in 2006, I wrote the manuscript for a book that became Internet Protect Your Kids. Steve Arterburn and I wound up co-writing together. And it was released in February of 2007. Of course, that was 16 years ago. And the whole world has changed so dramatically during that time. I mean, to put this in perspective with the information that we have available to us, when you and I were coming up, I'm 61, when you and I were coming up and we had to do an assignment or a report, what did we do? We went to the library, we looked at those microfiche things, and we pulled out the World Book or Encyclopedia Britannica that was all peer-reviewed. They spent years putting it together, publishing it, and then they would, you know, make it available to students for study and things like that. When the internet really started to break new ground, and I used 2006 as the benchmark because that's the year that, uh, that uh, Google picked up a piece of YouTube. That's the year that Apple released the iPhone. Remember, Apple had been making the Macintosh computer and then the Mac and the MacBook Pro and everything for several years before the iPhone. But the iPhone was more than just a phone. It was a personal computer that you could make phone calls on that also had a camera and also had video. And that was the year that Facebook went public. I mean, not public, public, but I mean, that was right around the time. When I was researching Internet Protect Your Kids, I could not access Facebook because Facebook was exclusively the domain of college students. If you did not have a registered email address that ended in the suffix .edu, Remember, people had, you, you worked for some company or you had a, you know, AOL.com address or something like that. Or if you worked for a church, it was .org for .org for nonprofit. But .edu meant you went to a college. And the only way you could sign up for Facebook when I was writing Internet Protect Your Kids was to have a .edu address. Now, I could have very easily, you know, I had a daughter in college and another one in high school. I probably pretty easily could have gotten that. 
But I didn't. And so we wound up writing Internet Protect Your Kids with no iPhone technology, no Facebook, none of that stuff. So the holy trinity of social media, which was the release of the iPhone, uh, the uh, Facebook becoming a public domain rather than just only for college students, and then the third piece of the puzzle was Google buying YouTube and YouTube just going nuts, which then spawned TikTok and all the other video channels. But where I'm going at with this is when we released the book Internet Protect Your Kids, at that time, the average amount of, well, the average time it took for information to change hands, as it were, had was, was rapidly uh, decreasing. The gap was getting narrower. If you look back at the 1940s and 1950s, the truth in the culture was the truth for about a generation and then there would be a generational shift. That's part of the reason why um, the, the, you saw the, the baby boom generation. They were getting a hold of information faster than their parents did. Television was starting to show up and it was making it easier. You know, you, you went for the wireless transmissions. I mean, the transistor radio started to happen, what, in the 1950s? And first it was music, but then it became news and information and ideas. And then television started to speed things along. And then... The internet showed up. And the internet was like the printing press all over again. And when the internet showed up, the amount of time it took for information to change, to be released, you know, to be verified, uh, it, it cut dramatically in half. I remember writing Internet Protect Your Kids, and I spent about a month arguing with the publishers because the majority of the research I had came from the internet. And no one believed it. They, didn't, they weren't credible sources because articles would show up and then they would get pulled down and nothing lasted that long. So how could you trust it? What scientific study could possibly be verified on the internet? That was the thought in 2006, 2007. But we went from having a 17 to 18 year cycle of information being transmitted to about an 18 month cycle by the time IPYK came out. But then it gets even more interesting because by the time the book did come out and when the iPhone began to happen and the internet really took off, the amount of information went from you know, new information being verified and updated every 18 years to every 18 months to the amount of information that was just posted on the internet, on websites and on video sites and stuff like that, began to double every 18 days. Then it was every 18 hours. <laughs> it was incredible. The amount of content that was uploaded to YouTube per minute was staggering. Hundreds, thousands of hours. All that content became very helpful for people who were looking for actual truth and very destructive and detrimental to people who just wanted a headline. Because now, instead of saying, well, I researched this and it came from major university peer-reviewed studies and Encyclopedia Britannica, et cetera, et cetera. Now it became, hey, I saw this article online. And no one really bothered to check it. That's part of the reason why you have all this gender confusion going on right now. It's, be, it's not because the science has changed. It's because the way people who interpret the science interpret it. There are two genders, male and female, for example. And yet in the scientific community, you can't. I mean, there's no way. This is, a, no, 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 no. You you, shame on you 
Bad you for thinking that. For thinking that. As a matter of fact, some publications then, I mean, this is where the shift goes. It goes from everybody knows what the truth is to everybody understands there's an accepted truth and some people believe it and some people don't to nobody knows what the truth is to I have my truth, you have your truth, but if your truth doesn't match up with my truth, I'm going to get you thrown out of the culture or put in prison or whatever. And trust me, there have been pieces of legislation that have been proposed in this country. It's an article that came out on Epic Times, and I love Epic Times. I'd say 999 times out of 1,000, the Epic Times is spot on. Every now and again, they put up a dud. But for the most part, they're, they're pretty spot on. Democrats in Congress got headlines last week because Adam Schiff, who was on one of the major committees, California congressman, had proposed legislation that would basically neuter the First Amendment. It basically said, if we don't like what you're saying online... You can't say it. What do you mean you can't say it? What, you can't say it? Just because I don't like it? I mean, look, if, if I'm watching uh, USC football, which I love, Angels baseball, t- take your pick. I'm watching an Angels game, and the Angels are getting shellacked, right? The Toronto Blue Jays come to town and beat them 17 to nothing. If one of the sportscasters goes on ESPN or one of the sports sites and says, and Toronto beat the Angels 17 to nothing, I don't have the right to call that guy and say, you're fired. I'm canceling you online. You no longer get to have an internet account because I don't like what you said. In my reality, it was the Angels who won. And they didn't win 17 to nothing. They won 100 million billion to nothing. How about that? Right? (laughs) That sounds kind of silly. Who would stand for that type of stuff? Well, the Christian Post found themselves in the crosshairs of almost about a year ago. Do you remember this story? The Christian Post posted a tweet that featured a story about the man by the name of Rachel Levine, who is a biological male who identifies as female. He had a distinguished military career and now is serving as the U.S. Assistant Secretary for Health. I think he had a military career. I'm not sure. Anyway, Rachel Levine, or Levine, uh, basically, you could see by the pictures, you could hear by the voice, Rachel used to be Richard, I believe, was a man, had a couple of surgical procedures, shot testosterone, or excuse me, estrogen into his body, and now identifies as a female. Well, guess what happened? On, well, sometime back in March of 2022, the Christian Post ran a story where they, uh, and they posted it on Twitter, and they said, here's the deal. We basically are acknowledging that this person is a man. And Twitter at the time was not owned by Elon Musk, and so the Twitter Nazis came into play and said, you can't say that because this is a woman and you have mis- misgendered the story, and so you need to either redo your story or you're going to have your account suspended. Well, what happened next is interesting because they've since had their uh, their site reinstated, but I want to tell you why it's so important 
that things went down the way they did with the Christian Post. Let's talk about this coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound but if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine now that's a fifteen thousand dollar investment but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years that's 2500 ultrasounds available to women right now think of all the babies thousands of babies lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now call 833-850-BABY 833-850-BABY that's 833-850-2229 make your best donation right now $50 $100 maybe you want to give $15,000 it's completely tax deductible we've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that 833-850-BABY 833-850-BABY that's 833-850-2229 call preborn right now Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and the good news is that the Christian Post has had their uh, Twitter account reinstated. This was effective actually New Year's Eve. Elon Musk took over, and all of a sudden a lot of Christians and a lot of conservatives who had their sites shut down or suspended for saying things basically that the woke crowd didn't like um, are now being reinstated. Now, this is very interesting. The Christian Post, you know, Babylon B, President Trump, they've had their accounts shut down, though uh, it's funny, once Donald Trump had his account reactivated by Elon Musk, he has not used the platform at all. But here's what happened. Back on, let's see, what day was it? It was March the 15th, I believe, of 2022. The Christian Post uh, outlined a tweet that said, USA Today names Rachel Levine a man among its women of the year. That tweet linked out to a story about Levine's placement on the USA Today listing. Twitter reportedly reached out to the Christian Post and they accused them of violating their prohibitions against what they called, quote-unquote, hateful conduct. They told the Christian Post that they would need to remove the tweet if they wanted to stay on the platform. The Christian Post said, no, we can't do this. And so they were suspended. Now, this is what, uh, what, what happened next. Christian Post said, quote, Twitter told us that if we remove the tweet of the CP article, USA Today names Rachel Levine among its women of the year, our account will be restored. We do not plan on removing that tweet. We will continue to speak the truth, even if it costs us our Twitter account. Well, they did. <laughs> they stayed with it. And they said, look, here's the thing. I mean, because there are more important things in life than having a social media platform. But in the Christian Post case, they did nothing wrong. They basically spoke the truth in love. And once Elon Musk completed his purchase of Twitter and he went back and said free speech is back, which is making leftists shake in their boots because they had gotten so used to always being right and everybody agreeing with them that now they see anything that doesn't look like what they like as hate speech. And that's not true. In the same way as the example I used earlier, if the Blue Jays beat my Angels 17 to nothing and I don't like it, I can tweet all I want that the Angels won 100 million billion to nothing and not the Blue Jays. And what I'm saying isn't true, but I have the right to say it. 
Well, in this case, the Christian Post actually is saying, or was saying what was true, and it was Twitter that said you can't be on. So basically, here's how they responded. Thanks to the free speech doctrine held by Elon Musk, our account, Christian Post, has been reinstated on Twitter, and we will continue speaking biblical truth, never in hate, always in love, and always to inform our readers of the be- to the best of our abilities. They closed by quoting 2 Timothy chapter 2.15, which reads, of course, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, that is really good news, though I know there are some people on the left who would say, that's not good news, that's a lie, that's hate speech, and you're misinformed, and you're misgendering people, etc., etc. At the same time this is happening, Michael Brown, also posting in the Christian Post, cites a new study by Fortune magazine. Now, Fortune.com used to be something that was like a, more of a business publication, but now everybody has their own, you know, business insider or whatever. Everyone pub- publishes all the same materials anyway. But what's interesting, and, and Michael Brown posts this, it's highlighted, hotkeyed, if you will, in his article that we'll put at thebottomlineshow.com. This is more good news. Basically, the Fortune study says, wow, um, <laughs> that men and women are different. They are actually real different. Now, this is not about a few people sitting around the water cooler or a couple of Christians at Cracker Barrel after church. This is a major study that involved 300,000 participants. And they were asking them questions and how would men react, how would women react, and of course the men answered for the men and the women answered for the women. Remember back in, was it last year, when uh, just now... uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson was being grilled by the Senate Judiciary Committee in her confirmation hearings, which they knew it was a foregone conclusion. It was a lot of political theater because the Democrats had the vote and she was going to get nominated and she was going to get sworn in. But remember the question, there was a, an issue with regard to gender and a couple questions regarding race, et cetera, et cetera. And they were asking her about Title IX and LGBTQ rights, et cetera, et cetera. And when asked to define a woman, Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson asked the question, well, what is a woman? I mean, her answer was, we can't actually define it. Now, Matt Walsh over the Daily Wire launched into a whole documentary. It's become one of the most popular films in America asking that question, what is a woman? Because it's amazing how many people see, don't see the inconsistencies of their response to that question. On the one hand, Gender is a construct of society, so we must destroy it at all costs. On the other hand, if a man like Richard Levine says, I want to be called Rachel and has surgery and grows his hair out, then the left goes nuts and says, you must call her a woman because her femininity is of essence to her. In the same way that feminists have been fighting for equality on, in the marketplace and on the athletic field and in academia, When a bunch of boys start shooting estrogen into their bodies, growing their hair out and changing their names and maybe getting their nails done. I mean, uh, the Leah Thomas example, this is a guy, William Thomas, who began to identify as a woman. By the way, William has not had surgery yet. He's taking some estrogen, and I believe he's developing breasts, but uh, I stress this again. Leah Thomas, also known as William Thomas, has not had surgery yet, and yet insists on using the women's locker room at Pennsylvania University. 
because Leah is still William, though he wants to be called her. He was a marginal swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania. She, competing against women, was an Ivy League champion. There are a number, Connecticut had a huge problem in the high school athletic department with the number of boys who were competing as girls. And there were guys who were, I think William Thomas was ranked like 93rd in the Ivy League as far as men goes in his event. And when he moved over to the women's event, he was top five. So for Fortune magazine to come out with this study and they start noting the actual differences between men and women, uh, Dr. Michael Brown at ChristianPost.com said he sarcastically tweeted out, quote, a major new study has revealed that, quote, women are more empathetic than men. This leads to two startling revelations. First, there is such a thing as a woman and there is such a thing as a man. And secondly, they have real differences. It's interesting. By the way, if you want to, uh, if you're curious about the test, uh, there's a link for the test in the article here that we'll post at thebottomlineshow.com. But there's good news with regard to things that we know are right and true. And it doesn't mean that one's better than the other. It literally means that there are men and there are women. God created male and female, and he's okay with that. And if God's okay with that, we should be okay with that too. Amen? That is good news indeed. Hey, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, a little more good news coming your way as the bottom line continues in a moment. You know, I just finished a meeting in Africa with a group of guys. And I said to them, here's the deal. They want to know how things are going in the United States. Hey, I'm not going to lie to you. Things are crummy. But I said, what you do every day is you get up every day, gentlemen, and you realize that none of this matters. God is in control. And if you believe that, then it, it's all downhill. And, and I said to them, I said, so as we struggle here with the things that we're planning to do here in Africa, it's exciting to see all the things that you guys want to do and the plans you're making. Just know that God is in charge. And so, and the bad things that are happening in the United States, God is going to work all them to good, Romans 8, 28. That's the only solution is just go back every day to Jesus and ask him for guidance on what you're supposed to be doing. Amen and amen. Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Good news that the Christian Post has had their Twitter account reinstated. And the reason is because they stood up for biblical truth. And eventually there was an ownership change. Of course, you may have heard of the guy called Elon Musk, who is now the uh, proprietor at Twitter. And he reinstated their account and said, just because you claim that Rachel Levine, the U.S. Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, is in fact, you maintain that she's a man, um, which she's a man who had surgery and took hormones and changed his name. Um, that's not hate speech, that's free speech, and you, you're free to move about Twitter. Then another tweet from Dr. Michael Brown, op-ed opinion writer at the Christian Post, uh, indicating that the new Fortune study from Fortune.com, a survey of 300,000 men and women worldwide indicated that there are differences between women and men, and heck, there are women and there are men. That's good news. I, I think back to the Christian Post article where they presented 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. 
And I appreciate the fact that they include chapter two, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Keeps the focus where it's supposed to be. Present yourself to God as to one approved, not to your local church body, not to the, the legal authorities or social media platforms. First and foremost, this is about you on your hands and knees before God saying, Lord, I want to show myself approved to you as a worker. But there's another part of Timothy that is also important for us to remember, and that's a couple of chapters later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, where Paul warns Timothy about what was going to happen to him as a preacher of the gospel. He says there will come a time when men and women will no longer stand for sound doctrine. They will gravitate toward whatever their itching ears want to hear. Now, if you studied you know, Greek mythology or the, the great thinkers of the, the way, way back, you know that as great as Socrates and Plato were, uh, respected by their peers, they were also on hire. And some of the greatest leadership of the day would hire these quote-unquote thinkers to come in and basically agree with them. That same thing happens in the culture today. The good news is we can still preach the good news. I'm great. Oh my goodness, we're in our 12th year here at the Bottom Line Show, and I'm very grateful that we haven't seen any sort of FCC laws against Christian preaching and teaching or conversations like we have here on the program. But we definitely, whether or not, earlier this week we talked about whether or not you believe we're in the end times, and the, the a poll was pretty much split down the middle among American Christians with 47% saying that they believe we are living in the end times, and I put my name in that category. 53% saying no. But what's interesting about the end times is what we're going to see is there will come a time, Paul told Timothy, when people will no longer stand for sound reason. They, they'll look at the quote-unquote science and their version of it will be man-made virus, we've got the cure, see we created the problem, sorcerer's apprentice, and well, no, COVID's now real. It's now an endemic, it's now among us. But the vaccines did not, vaccinate the way we were told they would and the treatments came two years after the vaccines and yeah that's just one example people will tell you there was no cheating on the election it was fair and square then you go back and look at the 300 plus laws that were altered many of them illegally to make the election work better for one side than the other and you could say okay it wasn't stolen but it was rigged and then you look at the government thumb on the scale with regard to who gets what contracts and see how wealthy the husbands of some of these ladies like Diane Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi have been in the House and Senate, Senate and House respectively. And you begin to wonder, how do people get a fair shake in this culture? We are called to be salt and light, brothers and sisters, but by doing so, we are going to demonstrate what is right and true and lovely, and not everybody's going to like it. John 3, 18 through 21 says, when the light shows up, it exposes the darkness, but people run to the darkness because they don't want to give up their sin. So keep living your life of faith and preaching the good news to all who need to hear it, which is all of us. That is the good news indeed, and that's the bottom line. Hey, we we're just talking about athletics and uh, some of the athletes who are trying to compete, you know, from one gender to the next. But when we continue, I've got a good news story about one athlete who is a uh, an Iron Woman triathlete whose b story is recounted in the book called 25 Meters Closer to God. Tad Weiss is going to tell us the story of his daughter and his own personal faith. It's an athletic faith story you will not want to miss. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues.
Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Today here on the bottom line for this segment, we're going to get into a story that is one of those things that, you know, so much of our life is planned and programmed, and then something comes out of nowhere and literally knocks you on a completely different course for your life and for your ministry. And you begin to ask the question, you know, God, why is this happening to me? Or God, what are you going to do uh, in this whole uh, universe that has been changed so dramatically? Uh, Tad Weeks is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, Tad is a, uh, a certified financial planner, is the president of Modus Advisors, LLC, which is a registered investment advisory firm. Uh, he's also done volunteer work with the group Feed My Starving Children, served as their chairman for quite some time. But he has a uh, an occasional triathlon, which we'll get into in just a moment, because nobody just occasionally wanders into a triathlon. It's been my experience anyway. Uh, he's got a brand new book out called 25 Meters to God, and it tells a really remarkable story of when his life was completely upended and uh, turned around because of something that happened uh, involving his daughter, Maggie. And the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. I want Tad to come on here and, and share a little bit about his story. So Tad Weeks, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, Roger. Great to be here with you. Likewise, and for those of us who did uh, German in high school, you're going to look at that spelling and say, wait, Roger, it should be Weiss, but Tad and I have, in fact, confirmed that W-E-I-S-S in his family is Weiss. And, uh, um, that's, because what, that's what we're going with. It's a Minnesota thing, right? It just kind of got stuck there, you know, and uh, <laughs> the <laughs> E right. dominated that's over right. the I. Well, fair enough, fair enough. Um, let, uh, let's get right cut to the chase here, because your life seemed to be going along pretty well until the 5th of June, 2014. Uh, kind of help yeah. us understand, give it maybe a little background as to, you know, a running jump into why that day was so significant for you and how ordinary your uh, Christian existence had been up until that point. Yeah, th thanks, Roger. It, uh, yeah, things things were going great. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Wendy, for, for quite some time. We had two children, Maggie and Peter, and Thursday, June 5th in 2014 started out like a normal work day for me. I thought uh, I drove into the office to start a meeting when I got a phone call uh, from a lady in Spain who told me that our daughter Maggie had been hit by a bus mm. in Seville, Spain. She had left mm -hmm. 10 days prior to go on a study abroad trip to Seville mm -hmm. and uh, was out for a morning run uh, that, that Thursday morning and uh, a city bus ran a red light and, and hit her. Wow. And I got the call and, and, uh, uh, of course, uh, dropped everything that I was doing and, and um, called my wife. She uh, freaked out, uh, <laughs> as you can expect, for about 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we, we decided that we both needed to get over to Spain as quickly as we could. Right. And that's what, yeah. uh, that's what started us on a journey, which uh, really has been going on for, for eight years now. 
Wow. Talk about how, uh, I mean, in the middle of all that, I mean, we're, we're, the initial reaction, we can look back on this nine years later and say it's easy to kind of play our armchair spiritual quarterback here, but uh, what, what, what were your prayers like, you and Wendy, when you heard that Maggie had been hit, literally hit by a bus, and you, yeah. you got to go halfway around the world to try to get to her initial prayers? Was it shock? Was it confusion? Was it, God, why did this happen to us? Or where were you guys emotionally and spiritually at that point? Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a note taker by nature, Roger. And and when I got that call, I was furiously taking notes, and mm. they look like the scribblings of a first grader. And and <laughs> when I go back and look at them now, so wow. I mean, I was shaken and sure. and rattled to the core. And and then uh, the hardest phone call I've made was calling my wife Wendy with the news, and uh, and she um, was you know was shaken as well. We didn't know much as as we were as we were driving to the airport and getting on that plane and flying overnight to get to Spain. Our, our most fervent of prayers was that Maggie would be alive when we, mm-hmm. when we got there uh, the next day, and those prayers were answered yes. Uh, but when we got in to see her in the ICU, uh, just didn't even look like her. She was mm-hmm. hooked up to every tube, monitor, and machine that you could imagine, and through all of the swelling, it just didn't even look like our daughter. Oh, uh, and uh, as we came to find out, um, probably a week later, um, the bus that hit her weighed 22 tons. Hmm. It was traveling 37 miles per hour when it hit her. Her head broke the windshield, and she was thrown 25 meters in the air by the impact. Wow! So if you've ever gone swimming in a in a lap pool, just mm-hmm. um, they're either 25 yards or 25 meters, and and just uh, you know look at that distance, and that's how far she flew through the air. Hmm. So okay. clearly a miracle of God reaching down. Uh, from heaven and and cushioning her landing and, and saving her. Um, she had broken ribs, a badly shattered pelvis, uh, traumatic brain injury in, in two places. Uh, and uh, uh, it was just uh, an amazing process to see God begin to heal her right before our eyes and uh, the journey that he took us on in the process. I'm talking with Tad Weiss today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called 25 Meters to God, and you just heard the reason why. Uh, when you think about that, that that thrust, if you've ever swum, if you've ever gone for a run, Tad, I, I, I having, I've done a couple of half marathons myself, and uh, it's been many years since I've done so, but you, a runner gets into such a rhythm, you know, and especially for those of us of, of faith, whether you've got music in your earbuds or you just, you know, are really at that, that, that peace with God and you get the, the rhythm and it's running and you're aware of the traffic around you, but you're not necessarily looking out for, uh, you know, uh, something that large being a, something in, that would consider you to be an impediment that would run out of the way. Yeah. Was there any legal ramification? Were there any legal ramifications against the driver, against the city? I mean, anything like that? Yeah, there there were, uh, and that that was a very long process. The, the legal system in Spain is very different from the United States, and they have a very low level of personal responsibility. But it was determined that the that the bus driver was mainly at fault. Uh, mm-hmm. He ran a red light. He was going twice the speed limit when he hit her. Um, but uh, that took probably a couple years to work its way out. Mm-hmm. So that that really wasn't a, a concern of ours. The um, you know, the main thing we were just focused on was Maggie's, um, surviving the accident and then the healing process. And it was just an amazing process that, that God took us on. Um, we started, a, a what's called a caring bridge page. And I don't know if you, you've heard of mm-hmm. that company yes. or that website, but that's a site where you can go and set up a page for a loved one, usually someone going through a medical emergency or an accident. 
and you put regular posts on on their condition and how they're doing, and your friends and family can reply to you and send words of encouragement and prayers back to you. And CaringBridge was our main uh, form of communication with our friends back home. And we were just overwhelmed by the support of the body of believers. There were over 2,000 visits to Maggie's page in wow. the first 20 hours that it was oh up. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And, uh, and the cool thing was so many of the replies to the posts that we made uh, on CaringBridge were, would start out like, you don't know me, but... Uh, mm. so, so someone that we would know would tell someone and, and you don't know me, but I'm uh, in North Carolina and my church is praying for you. I'm in Southern California and my church is, you know, just, it was just awesome. And, uh, I think there ended up being over 150,000 visits mm. to, to Maggie's page in the mm-hmm. time that we, that we posted on it. So Thank many of God. those writings became the foundation for the book that I wrote and, uh, uh, just really dives into the whole story of of the miracle that that God performed, the body of believers coming around us and, and supporting us throughout our journey, and um, just also how God can can take the most tragic of circumstances and turn them upside down yeah. and, and use them for good. And he um, Maggie's life; um, she was 19 years old at the time. Her pretty much everything in her life was stripped away. From her physical ability to her, her cognitive abilities, her friendships, um, just everything was taken away. And uh, but then, over the next four to five years, God just slowly rebuilt that and, and made something new and beautiful and better than before. Well, and uh, so that that was just beautiful to see. Well, that is remarkable. And then listening to this testimony here, Dad Weiss today here on the bottom line, as outlined in the book, 25 Meters to God is, is, is such an inspiration, especially if you're going through hardship right now, or if you're wondering why God does what he does, and the, the 150,000 entries on your caring bridge is just remarkable. I know that's part of what well, we'll get into this on the other side of this break, but the way the book is laid out in terms of your recollections, uh, you know, people and their posts on the caring bridge side and your responses to those. And, and I think it's such a it, valuable community that you had that was rallying around you with prayer. Uh, and then of course the other things that happened. Tad Weeks, my guest today here on the bottom line, W E I S S. If you're Googling along with us at home, his book about his uh, daughter, Maggie's journey is called 25 meters to God. We have a link for that book up at the bottom line show.com. Uh, we'll talk about present day. What's been going on now. How did God bring this healing about? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Tad Weiss is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, W-E-I-S-S, if you're Googling along with us at home. Of course, you can find a link for the website for the book, 25 Meters to God, up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Tad, as you were sharing, for some, so it's just tuning in on Terrestrial Radio, and you didn't hear the first segment yet, you have to hear the remarkable story of why the book is called 25 Meters to God, about Maggie and the uh, distance that she literally traveled through the air after being hit by a bus in Seville, Spain. But during the break, Ted, you were telling me there's also kind of a, a double meaning, if you will. I don't want to say double entendre because some people get the wrong impression, but there's kind of a, a secondary yeah. meaning for the title 25 Meters to God. Talk about that, if you would. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Roger. It, it's not as literal as, as the first meeting, the, uh, meaning the, the distance that Maggie flew. But, but I also view 25 meters as kind of the distance that I was holding God away. Mm. I believed in him. I believed in Jesus. Uh, uh, you know, I felt like I was uh, living my life for for God, but 
in in hindsight, I was kind of running my own show. Everything was everything was going great. Business was going well. Everybody's healthy. Got friends. Got all kinds of activities. And and I would come to God when I needed something. But uh, I, I wouldn't say that I, in hindsight, that I'd really committed my life to Him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when this accident happened. You, you just so quickly get to a position where you realize you have nothing to give. Right. We flew over to a foreign country. We didn't know the language. We did not, not know a single person in the entire city. And you become so dependent on everyone else. And, and you just realize that all this control that you think you have in life, you, you really don't. And I, I view that 25 meters as a distance that I was holding God away, wanting to, to run my own life. And the best decision I ever made was just sprinting that distance into his arm and saying, into his arms and saying, okay, God, you're in charge now. You're in control. I, I'm here to do uh, as best I can what your will is for my life. And, uh, and, and it's just an example of how God can take the worst of circumstances and use them um, for our good. And mm-hmm. we don't believe that God caused the accident or that he wanted the accident to happen. But he, he, he knew that we would use it to, to bring honor and glory to him and, and, uh, uh, and, and to make our lives uh, uh, so much more rich uh, than, they, than they were before. And, and um, it's something now that we look back on and just say, everyone in our family, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't go back. We wouldn't, mm-hmm. we wouldn't, if we could turn back time and not have the accident happen, we wouldn't do it. Uh, just because we've gotten to see how God works so so much more closely um, through the accident. You know, it's interesting, Tad, as you sh- you share that. I mean, I, I, what it sounds like what you described is kind of a perfect description of what a lot, a lot of Americans have with regard to their relationship with God. Maybe it's a church relationship. Maybe it's a you know a cursory one, as you described. It's kind of the Jesus is my Savior, but not my Lord, you know, type of relationship. Yeah. And and yeah. this tragedy. And I'm grateful that you had that faith because the tragedy then you leaned into it as opposed to running away from it, like, wait, God isn't working anymore because Maggie's in a coma in Spain. And I, I, yeah. it's, it's such a powerful story for people to hear. Uh, and, and this has kind of become a hallmark of your ministry now, and the, the fact that God uses tragedies like this to further magnify himself and the work he's doing in the lives of other people. Talk about this, because the nine-year journey you've been on since, I've been coming up on the ninth anniversary this June, of Maggie's accident, the physical challenges that she's had to work through, the spiritual you know, battles that your family has all faced, and yet you've come through stronger. Talk about that, if you would. Yeah, it, it um, it, it's been uh, it, it's been quite a journey, and uh, for for Maggie mainly, but uh, but also for us as well. And I, I think everyone is going to. You've either been through uh, a, a tragic situation in the past, or you're going to go through one in the future. It's just part of this life, uh, living in a fallen world, that that bad things are going to happen. Yep. And you've really got a choice. You can run away from God or you can run to him. And all I can say is from personal experience that uh, running to him is the best decision that, that you can make. You can try to get through these things on your own power, or you can rely on the creator of the universe Amen. and rely on his power. And uh, it's it's really a pretty easy decision. Uh, when you look at it that way, but we're just naturally inclined to to want to do it on our own or, or want to come up with human solutions. 
Yeah. And Maggie's journey was, you know, there was a there was a four year period. This is a bright young lady, uh, uh, an attractive lady, and and she she didn't date for four years, and uh, and it was partly from a loss of confidence from the accident and and changes in friendships and so forth. But she was asking all the time, you know, when when is it going to happen? I'd like to meet a guy. When, you know, it's just not happening. And and our advice is just be patient. God's got a plan, and and He did. And um, so so Maggie's life, you know, after the accident, and she was she graduated on time, and um, she actually went back to Spain uh, a year after the accident, and completed her study abroad program wow. over there. Wow, uh, which was uh, very courageous on her part, but uh, we just talked and prayed about it and, and thought that's what God wanted her to do. And uh, so as she was slowly building her life back together, she had been a runner. She had been a cross-country runner when the accident happened. That's what she was doing when she got hit by the bus. And she slowly started running again. And she wasn't as good as before, but she was, but she was out there. And about a year, a little over a year after the accident, I said to her, you know, you know how to swim and you're a good runner. Why don't we get you a bike and let's try a triathlon, which mm. I know a lot of your listeners know down in Southern California, you got a better, uh, you got a great triathlon community down there. So she did, uh, she did a race in August of 2015 and, um, we weren't trying to do anything except finish the race and she ended up doing really well. And it just brought her such great joy that it made her feel whole and made her feel normal again. Love it. Love it. And we started on this journey of, of triathlon and come to find out she's pretty good. So she, <laughs> she started racing on the national level. She qualified for a world championship team and raced over in Rotterdam. Uh, in 2018, she had a full season of races and she got hurt. She had a stress fracture um, not related to the accident, but, but from, from racing and she had to take the, take the summer off. And that summer at a graduation party, she met her husband and, uh, <laughs> Love and, it. and, uh, so, you know, just another example in her life of a bad thing, getting injured and not being right. able to do what she loves to do. And, and she meets, the meets the man of her dreams. So, uh, so in 2018, they started, started dating. They got married in 2019, in 2020, the year of COVID. So there was no no triathlons those that season. 2021 rolls around, and she says to me, "You know what, Dad? I really feel like I want to do an Ironman triathlon." Mm. And I had done one once many many years ago, so I know a little bit about it. And for your listeners who don't know, an Ironman triathlon is a very long triathlon. It starts with a 2.4 mile swim. Uh, 112 mile bike ride, and then it finishes with a 26.2 mile marathon run. Dang! It can take anywhere from eight to 17 hours to complete. So in 2021, Maggie trained for her first Ironman and uh, and did it in Madison, Wisconsin, in September of 2021. She had a great race, finished in a little bit over 11 hours, and it was really a, a culmination of her of her healing. To go from, you know, hanging on to life by a thread eight years prior to now completing uh, one of the hardest endurance, endurance events in sport and, uh, and doing it really well. 
Incredible story from Tad Weiss today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called 25 Meters to God. tells the story of the Weiss family with Maggie being struck by a bus in Seville, Spain, and in a coma, hanging on by a thread. Faith tested, family now strengthened and recovered and moving forward. Tad, we've got about 60 seconds left in our time together. What's happening in the Weiss family today? How can our listeners be praying for you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, um, this year, we're you know the book the book came out last August, and um, we're doing uh, a number of activities around the book just to to get the word out there and and uh, um, doing shows like this. So so thank you for for having me on. Uh, Maggie continues to race. Um, last year in that same race I just mentioned, she did the race again in Madison, Wisconsin, and she won that Ironman event and nice. qualified for the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. So Ooh. she'll be racing there in October of this year. So we're helping her with that and excited to take a nice vacation over to Hawaii and watch her race there. <laughs> yeah. So so her racing uh, continues, and, and we're just uh, uh, welcoming every opportunity to tell our story, tell how, God, how good God has been to us and um, the miracles that he performed in the Bible 3,000, 4,000 years ago, he still does them today. I love it. I love it. And, uh, you know, it, I, I can tell that you, know, you and Wendy had to have your arms twisted a little bit to make that trip to Hawaii, you know, to go and cheer <laughs> Maggie on. <laughs> I'll bet. But, you know, when you start talking about we and we and we as far as that stuff, I thought, boy, so did she get you out of retirement to do some of this Ironman training along with her? Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, we actually did the race together last year. So that yeah, was yeah. that was fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, a little father daughter time and and yeah, uh, I love it. but but when I say we train and race together, Roger, it's um we're going at two very different speeds these days, and, and yes. hers is a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's nothing. I mean, I, I ran a couple of uh, halves with my uh, younger daughter, who's a uh, grad student in biokinesiology, and when she was like in high school, there were times when she was going through stuff, and we'd run, and I would be kind of running backwards and talking to her and jogging and this, that, and the other thing. I'll never forget the last half we ran when we got to about the 12-mile mark, and I was just done, and she turned around and did that to me, and she goes, wait, I shouldn't have done that. I always hated when you used to do this to me. And I thought, <laughs> you go run your race. You don't have to carry your old father across the finish line. But uh, that was also the end of my half mile career or half marathon. Career. Well, I think that, I think that means we've done our job as parents, Roger. Yeah, there you, go. there you go. We're up. passing, passing mm -hmm. the baton. Tad Weiss, the book That's is called right. 25 meters to God. We've got a link for it up at the bottom line show.com. Tad, thank you for your time today, for sharing your story and uh, uh, for being uh, so available to just discuss it with us today here on the bottom line program. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Roger. God bless. What a great conversation, an inspiring story today here on The Bottom Line. So glad that Tad Weiss was here to share it with us. The book is called 25 Meters to God, and it outlines the story of Tad and his daughter Maggie and that amazing catapulting journey that she had while she was studying abroad in Spain. We have two copies of this book to give away here on Good News Friday. I know you're going to love it. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, 25 Meters to God, written by Tad M. Weiss. And that's W-E-I-S-S. -S. It looks like vice, but it's definitely Weiss. Um, a great story. You won't want to put it down once you pick it up. Crystal standing by, ready to take your calls. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. 
My thanks again to Tad Weiss, the author of the outstanding book called 25 Meters to God. It's the story of how his daughter, Maggie, June 2014, Maggie is 10 days into a study abroad program in Seville, Spain. She was literally out for a jog when she was hit by a bus doing 37 miles an hour. The bus knocked her 25 meters in the air down the street. She landed with major broken bones within hours. Tad and his wife, Wendy, were on a plane to Seville. They're at the hospital where Maggie lies in a coma. And all of a sudden, you could start to feel the wheels come off the cart for the Weiss family. But Maggie recovers. Uh, Maggie winds up becoming a competitive athlete as a uh, runner and uh, uh, iron woman triathlete. Tad kind of dusts off his shoes and gets involved with this as well. And it's just, a, it's a truly amazing story. Tad says 25 meters to God represents not only how far Maggie flew through the air when she got hit by a bus, but also how he always felt like his relationship with God was 25 meters away. Now, I can see you, we're within arm's distance, but I really don't feel like we're that close. So the book has a double entendre, if you will. We've got two copies of the book to give away appropriately. If you would like a copy of 25 Meters to God here on this Good News Friday, give us a call. Crystal standing by to take your calls. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Hey, I know what it's like to feel that far. I know what it's like when you're that far from God and you can see him, but you know you're far because you've pulled back. But I also know what it's like to feel like you're that far from God when you are running toward him and it doesn't seem like you can get any closer than that. Stay the course, but do yourself a favor. I'm not going to say every step you take toward God, he sprints toward you, but rather every step you take along the path where you are seeking his favor, you will find him. And remember, if you are looking for God in a season of sin where you are so far removed from him that you need to be reconciled to him, it's not that you are to be running toward him, but rather he is pursuing you. He's lovingly and tenderly calling you back to him. The question is, will you respond to that calling? That is good news. And that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy your weekend. Rabbi Schneider's coming up next. For those who remain on the network, good news about Pastor Story Hour and more good news on this Good News Friday as the bottom line continues in a moment. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it is such good news that we are sharing here today, whether it is the uh, the good news that the Christian Post had their Twitter account reinstated after the uh, powers that be at Twitter decided that they couldn't reinstate them initially because they called the Assistant Secretary of uh, Health and Human Services a, uh, a man when she is actually a man who changed her name, had surgery, injected hormones. I mean, they're a male and female. That's how we're born. Uh, There are thousands of people uh, nationwide who have gone through this, what they call detransitioning. My good friend, uh, Lori Perry Smaltz is one uh, of many who would tell that story about how they were transitioning, in Laura's case, transitioning from female to male, taking testosterone, living as a guy called Jake for about eight years. And then God called her back to who she is and Laura got married this year, and I remember talking with her about a year ago at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and she said, gosh, I went shopping for a wedding dress, and I didn't realize how much fun it was to be a girl until I realized, well, that's what God made me to be, so good for her. 
But to have the Christian Post reinstated on Twitter is symbolically is strong because of the way that they held to a, a maintain a biblical position, quoting Second Timothy chapter two verse fifteen about you know being approved by God before God and doing so with gentleness, you know, humility and respect. First Peter three fifteen says always give an answer with gentleness and respect, and then the Fortune uh, publication that came out with a survey of 300,000 people asking about the differences between men and women and finding out that there are two major differences. Number one, that there are men and women in the culture. Number two, that they're different. And that's okay. We rejoice when we hear the good news. You know, we it, it does something to our hearts. And uh, it's amazing how many people will you know, sometimes say, well, I want this in the culture and I want that. And, uh, you know, why doesn't, uh, why doesn't God, you know, let this happen the way I want it to happen? Or why doesn't the universe give me what I want? You know, that type of thing. And I keep thinking how much easier it would be. Well, how much simpler, not necessarily easier, but how much simpler it would be for everyone, but especially for us in the body of Christ. If we'd focus on God, focus on the Lord and stop trying to make God a genie in a bottle who does whatever we want him to do. When we come to that shared mutual appreciation of what God is doing, then we all rejoice. Good news, right? I mean, if you are going to commit one verse to memory this year, I, I, and I don't know if you're a Bible memory person or not, I, I have a lot of acquaintances who are, you know, they have what we would call the life verse. Oh, you know, this is my life guiding verse or et cetera, et cetera. I've never had one because life goes through different seasons. But I do remember one of the first verses I ever memorized. It was when I was 12 years old. I was attending a church. Our, our senior pastor was an evangelist at heart, so he wasn't really heavy on deep Bible teaching, but he was really big on the love of God and 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 Harold Liesma. May he rest with the Lord. I, I loved that man. He had such a genuine warmth about him. But, but this was back in probably, gosh, let's see, uh, 1973, so 50 years ago. We had a pastor's class at our church for new members, and I decided I wanted to join the church, and so I went. My parents were there, too. They were, we were, it was a brand-new church, so we all had to go to join. But the kids didn't have to. I wanted to. And I remember him teaching us a Bible verse that was in the translation, uh, Good News for Modern Man, which was like the living Bible translation. So it was a paraphrase. It wasn't the actual translation. But it was Philippians 4, verse 6. The actual text reads, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Living Bible paraphrase was, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. Now, Philippians 4 is powerful. Remember, this is a, an epistle that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi when there was a bitter disagreement among members of the congregation. Dare I say, it looked like even a couple of gals had gotten into it. And Paul's trying to exhort them and say, hey, calm down. But I'll tell you what, Philipp may I just share a few verses with you before we get into this next good news story? I think you'll appreciate it. Because Paul talks about unification, joy, prayer, and what to meditate on when things are kind of out of control. Therefore, my beloved, he writes in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. What a great 
salutation to start a verse. This is the New King James, by the way, lest anybody be concerned. I don't get into these and thous that much. And you know, when we talk about the original text of the King James, from what I understand, the King James version of the Bible is actually the third translation of the scriptures. So I don't know that it's necessarily, uh, you know, super true to the text the way, you know, it's not the quote unquote original one, but I digress. So Philippians 4 verse 1. Paul gives his greeting, and he refers to the church at Philippi as his joy and crown, his longed-for and beloved brethren, encouraging them to stand fast in the Lord. Verse 2, I implore Yodia and implore Synthesi to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also. See, there's the, the, the squabble. Verse 3, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I love how Paul does that because what he does is he's telling them, hey, don't forget, you're having this earthly, temporal squabble, and here's what I'm trying to tell you. Our names are in the Lamb's book of life. Can we get a little perspective here? You may be having a hard time with that person on your church council or your elder board or the sound guy doesn't like the choir director or whatever it is. May I remind you, Paul says, we are fellow workers and our names are in the book of life. Can we start acting like this? Verse four, you know this, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. I can't get the hand claps right up to the microphone. But that's a, one of the first songs you probably learned in Sunday school if you grew up in the 70s and 80s in Southern California. Then verse five, you know, people memorize verse four, people memorize verse six, people memorize verse eight, verse 13 of Philippians four. But can we stress and underscore Philippians four, five for just a moment? Paul writes, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your graciousness, let your forbearance, let the fact that you can withstand an insult and let it roll off your back. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Everywhere you go, remember, Paul isn't saying, hey, act, act right because God's watching. He's saying, don't forget, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place as certainly as the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. So let your gentleness be known to all men. Don't go in there and tell them, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian and I'm very gentle. I'm very kind. I'm very fair. I'm very humble. They're going to know it. That's a comment that someone's going to make after you walk out of the room, three weeks after you got together. Oh, I'm glad they're coming back over because man, every time they're there, I just don't know what it is but I just like being around that person. I just like being around that family. I love visiting their church. It should feel warm and welcoming. And pastor, since this is Friday and we're heading into the weekend, if people aren't coming to your church or they don't come to your church because it feels cold and stiff and whatever, ask yourself the question, if the Lord is at hand, Philippians 4, 5, then why are they not sensing his presence? And I'm not talking about laser light shows, trust me, uh, my family had been in many worship services where the band was screaming loud and the lights were going crazy and the celebrity pastor was trying to get, get up, get up for Jesus. And you could not feel the presence of the Lord. You could feel the energy in the room. You could feel the excitement of the song. But God doesn't need a hype man. 
to let his presence be known. He needs a hope person, but not a hype man. Now, Philippians 4, 6, this is the verse, (laughs) wandering into preaching mode here. This is the verse that I first memorized. Don't worry about anything, pray about everything. In the New King James, it's be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known to God. And then verse seven, cue the Wayne Watson music. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're going to stop at verse nine on the other side of this break. But I, I say this all as a precursor to what we're about to get into. I'll just go ahead and put the verse now. Philippians 4, 8. When you are stressed, when you are frustrated, when you don't like what's happening in the world, when you think elections are rigged or you think that business people are getting away with too much, claim Philippians 4, verse 8. Paul writes, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue... And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of all peace will be with you. I share this as an exhortation, as someone who gets frustrated with the culture as well. I know you do, I do. I get emails, I get Facebook messages week in and week out from people. We've got to do this to take back the culture and we've got to do that to stop the bad guys and we got to and then I flip into Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and say, where is that in those passages? What I see there is go into all the world and preach the gospel. But also when I see Philippians 4 verse 8, I think, okay, is that true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it a good report? Is there any virtue in it? Is it praiseworthy? Because if I spend too much time thinking about the evil of the world, I will miss what God has for me in this world. And that is goodness and righteousness to share with other people. I say that as a big, long preamble for a good news story that may not sound like a good news story, but I think it is because it involves election fraud. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, You know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. 
Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Are you meditating? Did you spend time during the commercial break? By the way, we, we are commercial stations that carry the Bottom Line Show. And even if you listen online, we give a little shout out to our sponsors. Um, you'll notice if you listen to the Bottom Line compared to other Christian radio programs, there was a, we had a caller earlier this week said, I love listening to the Bottom Line Show. There's nothing else like it on radio. And I took that as a high compliment. But even when you compare us to other shows on Crawford Broadcasting, mm -hmm, uh, we have shorter commercial breaks than anybody else in commercial radio. And that is by design. Our founder, president, Don, well, our president, Donald Crawford Sr., uh, is adamant that you don't get bombarded with commercials. So carefully vetted, long-term relationships. Dennis Wilson's going into his 11th year. Stephanie Cover into her 6th. We just started a new relationship with Preborn, but they're going to be with, on with us till Jesus comes back. And there's a reason, Alliance Defending Freedom, there's a reason why this is a family, this is a team effort. This is not just, hey, I'm listening to the Christian talk show, and then here comes a bunch of ads that we sold, and then back to this. No, this is a team. This is 90 minutes of intentionality for the Lord each and every weekday here on the bottom line and another hour or so on the weekend as well. I encourage you to focus on Philippians 4.8, where Paul writes, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the reason we want to meditate on these things, that's what we do for 20% of our broadcast week here on Good News Friday here on the Bottom Line Show, one day out of five. But I want you to think about that verse in retrospect to something that happened in Pennsylvania last week. And this is reported in the Epic Times. The officials in Lycoming County, Pennsylvania, decided to do a hand recount of the 2020 presidential election. Now, there was a question about electronic voting systems and whether or not the results they were putting out were accurate. And there were a lot of challenges to the, those election results. You know, Pennsylvania was rather contentious. Uh, Arizona, rather contentious. Georgia, rather contentious in the 2020 presidential election. And there were some parts, I mean, there were some Pennsylvania laws that were out, actually thrown out because the Secretary of State tried to write law. Secretary of State, not part of the legislature. Uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court tried to enact some voting laws. There was a lot of confusion around the election, and usually progressives thrive in confusion where conservatives thrive in order. So it was determined there were about 60,000 ballots in Lycoming County that were um, counted. And it, very interesting because they took a look at who was running for president and the, the different uh, um, other offices with regard to the Lycoming County uh, Elections Board. And in the 2020 election, there was a big hue and cry, you know, of course, for people to do hand recounts of things that were electronically tabulated because the concern was that the electronic tabulation was going to be inaccurate. So here's the deal. In the hand recount of nearly 60,000 ballots cast, either for then-President Donald Trump or soon-to-be President Joe Biden, would there be a big change? That was the concern. Because, you know, a lot of people are saying, hey, we got to throw the election out if there was a you know, widespread voter fraud. 
Well, if there was widespread voter fraud, or if there were, then yes, she would. But there wasn't widespread voter fraud, at least in Lycoming County, Pennsylvania. At least that's what we were told. And you know what's interesting about this, too, is for those who are looking to see if maybe Donald Trump takes the White House in 2023, notice I said 23, before Joe Biden runs for re-election in 24, well, Lycoming County was pretty much a Trump county to begin with. In the 2020 election, the number of votes cast and counted went something like this. Donald Trump, 41,462. Joe Biden, 16,971. Okay? So that's how many people voted for um, the presidential thing. Uh, by the way, they also, it's funny because that the results that we're going to post at thebottomlineshow.com not only included the presidential, but also the auditor general races. They were basically, um, uh, they, they were they were printed on the same ballot on the same page. So basically they did a hand recount and they counted everything that was there. Now, the population of Lycoming County, 120,000. The number of registered voters in Lycoming County, 70,000. It took a petition of about 5,000 signatures of Lycoming County registers, registered voters asking for a recount, and so they got one. And in the recount, here is the shocking revelation. I mentioned that in the original count, it was 16,971 for Joe Biden, 41,462 for Donald Trump. When the hand-counted ballots were counted, it was 16,956 for Joe Biden, and 41,455 for Donald Trump. In other words, President Trump wound up getting seven fewer votes in Lycoming County than the electronic counter had for him, and Joe Biden had 15 fewer votes. Now, the difference of opinion in Pennsylvania, I believe, was 20,000, so um, it really didn't help the Trump cause all that much. But it was interesting, and, and I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing that the people of Lycoming County 70,000 strong, 60,000 of them went to vote on election day, November 3rd, 2020. 5,000 of them were enough signatures to say, we would like to see a recount. We want to make sure that the electronic machines worked. A recount was conducted. They didn't rush something into play. Here we are, January 27th, 2023, and we're finally getting the results. And basically the results are, give or take a couple of ballots, not that big a deal. Uh, if you were wondering, in the Auditor General race, uh, Tim DeFore was the victor. Originally, uh, he had 40,512 votes, but in the recount, it was 40,502. So there were 10 fewer actual votes for him, 12 fewer actual votes for Jennifer Moore, six fewer votes for Olivia Faison. By the way, in a county of 70,000 registered voters, Olivia Faison had 537 votes. But I'm rejoicing with the recount because that's good news. They counted and the people spoke. And once they spoke and everything was counted, now they have what they're looking for. Isn't that good news? I think it's good news. As a matter of fact, our final Good News Friday story is even better than this one. If you have gotten tired of hearing about drag queen story hours and Guys like Kirk Cameron can only go to so many libraries. And of course, Kirk is now doing a national tour with his book. But there's one other category of faith people who has been asking, well, if you're going to allow a drag queen story hour, why not have a pastor story hour? One 
pastor in particular, a guy by the name of Kendall Lankford, who's the teaching pastor at the Shepherd's Church in Helmsford, Massachusetts, requested a pastor's story hour. And first it was granted, and then it was canceled. You want to know the reason why it was canceled and why we're celebrating tonight? I'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Get your money out of a traditional 401k or IRA now. What we have is we have a problem in the sense that, and I've got a big pot of money. No one's advising me on what to do with this big pot of money. And so I'm just kind of putting it all over the place. People in the early 50s and early 60s, when they went to work, they had pension plans. Hey, they knew when they retired, they're going to have a pension plan. Well, it is a real challenge when you think about the fact that here I am, now I'm retired and you're now responsible for everything to do with your retirement, everything to do with the growth, everything to do with what you're going to do. And so this kind of gives you a feeling of relief to know that, hey, that, that I'm not the only one out here suffering. When you see the, the severity of what the 401k has limited you to, and you realize that it really isn't what it was cracked up to be, this kind of takes them down the road and shows them how easily that can be solved. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday indeed, culminating with a really good news story. And this is a good news story that I am just thrilled about because it seems like everybody's getting attention for sharing stories, but they're either drag queens or celebrities or famous people, not just rank and file folk like you and me. The drag queen story hour is even getting pushed back now from people in the LGBTQ community saying, why is it so important for you to dress in drag with your strange drag name and your strange drag clothing, and then you read stories to children about little boys who want to be princesses and little girls who want to be boys? Why do you need to do that? If you want to go to Las Vegas and perform in some drag club where adults come and drink alcohol and do that stuff, if that's what you're into, the law allows for that. I don't recommend it at all. But why do you have to take it out on kids? Even some transgender activists are saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, we're transgender, but we're adults. What are you guys doing? But the public libraries seem to think that this is what's supposed to happen. Drag queens come out and they do mock strip teases and read these crazy stories. And that's when Kirk Cameron got involved. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, I got a children's book. Can I have a story hour? No, you can't because you're filled with hate. And then all of a sudden, Kirk now has so many libraries he's going on a national tour reading his children book in public libraries good for you kirk but not all of us are kirk cameron what happens if your local pastor wants to host a pastor story hour every friday and you get permission from the library they're trying to be you know ecumenical and let the rabbi show up and the priest show up and the pastor and the and the Sikh and the monk and what well nope <laughs> Helmsford Public Library in Massachusetts, local teaching pastor at the Shepherd's Church there, Kendall Lankford, had requested time to come in on a Friday and read stories to the kids for an hour. Initially, the uh, library said, sure, that's fine. You know, we're, we're wide open. At the same time, though, some local residents said, well, we're not so sure because those pastors are dangerous. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. And we were talking about that second Timothy chapter four, verse three, where Paul tells his young charge, there will come a time when people will no longer stand for sound doctrine. They want what their itching ears want to hear instead. Here's a culture, here's a city 
in Massachusetts that says, we want men dressed as women, dressing provocatively, dancing provocatively, and reading stories that will mess up our kids and scar them for life. But we don't want a pastor coming in and reading a Bible story that talks about morals and virtues and values and things of that nature because that's dangerous. Well, God bless you, Pastor Kendall Lankford of the Shepherd's Church in Helmsford, because he said, look, I've seen so many of these things happening, uh, you know, these drag queen story hours. I just wanted to do one for kids. Uh, the First, the library said no, or they said yes. Then they said no, because, well, um, you know, the public might sue. They might have an outroar, an outrage. So then the pastor did something that we highly recommend. He got an attorney. The Massachusetts Family Institute decided to defend him legally, and they said, look, here's the deal. Uh, you can't not do this. And so basically the attorney submitted their letter to the library on a Thursday night saying, don't cancel the event. By Friday morning, they changed their mind. Interesting that they think they thought that they would change your mind on a statement on Friday and say no one would come. Well, Pastor Langford said the event was huge success. About 50 adults and children showed up. The library gave an interview to the Christian Post and said, we've always advocated for free speech and the principles of respectful and kind treatment of others. We want to serve as a space where the community members feel valued and welcome. We now recognize that the actions taken subsequent to the approval of the reservation and immediately before the event seem to violate some details of library policy. They issued an apology. They acknowledged it was unintentional error and attempt to honor the rights and principles of other people and nothing should have taken place over the past couple of days that changes the exceptional work that our library does each and every day. So the good news on this Good News Friday is when you show a little political muscle, people will respond. Uh, Kirk Cameron um, <laughs> is getting 700 to 800 people showing up at his events. But here's the name of the game. The good news is the good news, and we need to engage in the public square sharing the good news. And being Christians, not being jerks about it, but sharing the good news. So my question to you and to us today is, how are you going to fulfill the Great Commission in your sphere of influence this weekend? Think about it, because the good news is good news, and that's the bottom line.